Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples and Buck Sanders, and Carolina falls to Miami in a game much closer than any of us predicted, any of us thought. Buck, this team has just struggled to win, and winning is hard. And learning how to win is hard. And when you're one and seven going into a game, you have a close game, close outcome, and many opportunities, and you miss them. It's tough, but Carolina certainly was in a game and played well. It certainly tells me, and I could be wrong, and I want what your guys, y'all's thoughts is that Fedora, any doubt if Fedora's lost his team were answered against that Miami Buck, your take. Well, as, as to the last part of what you're saying, it, it certainly did not look like uh, that he had lost the team, right? Uh, I, I thought even on the offensive side of the ball, you know, we have seen some offensive efforts that uh, in some cases you'd struggle to call them efforts, but that wasn't the case yesterday. I thought the offense played really hard. Nathan Elliott and Tommy and I were joking about this off the air, Jason, before you joined us, but I figured once Brandon Harris showed up in street clothes, Nathan Elliott would have been Tommy's favorite player. <laughs> it's, it's tough, man. I'm not that quick. I didn't notice Harris soon enough. That's brutal. <laughs> for and those true. that don't know, for those that don't know, uh, the backup quarterback is always Tommy's favorite player on the UNC team. But yeah, I, I mean, Fedora actually addressed this in his press conference. I, I don't think he actually really needed to very much because it was apparent to me. And, and I think the offense maybe have took a cue from Elliott because regardless of what his actual skills are as a quarterback, there was no question. He was just giving it everything he had out there on the field. Now, the, the velocity on his throws is not what you want. You know, he's not a uh, statuesque kind of guy that uh, is a prototypical-looking quarterback, you know, that can uh, look up over the, you know, the offensive line and see downfield. He's left-handed, of course, so is Surratt. But you could tell on every play he was doing – he was given everything that he had. And I think that was a little contagious to the offense. Real Um, lunch pail guy. Yeah, and I, I think the other offensive players picked up on it. And, you know, even on the sidelines and elsewhere, I, I think there were a lot of Nathan Elliott fans on the UNC offense uh, yesterday. That's how it looked to me. Jason, he kind of looked, and this is just, you know, when you see somebody that looks very similar, it reminded me a little bit of Jared Lorenzen. Isn't that the kid from Kentucky, the big kid? The quarterback that Kentucky had several years ago, but you mean the Pillsbury Throwboy? Yeah, see, I didn't want to go there. I mean, they were just, you know, 
<laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, to Book's point, kid played hard. And I'll say this it was my fault. I jinxed him because right before the first interception, it had not, the echo had not gotten out of my mouth. I said, this kid can win a game. Uh, he doesn't do anything flashy, but at least he doesn't throw it to the other team. And literally, the very next throw was to Miami. Jason, your take on how he looked, how he played, given the circumstances this team's gone through. I mean, I thought he played well uh, for the for the first you know portion of the game that that he was in. You know, he's he's pretty decent in the first half. I mean, he's obviously very limited in what he brings to the table in terms of the the kind of throws that that he's comfortable making. And, you know, he, he, he made some mistakes once, once uh, Miami started getting a bead on, on what he was comfortable with. And, you know, that, that, that's kind of what you expect from a, from a third string guy. He has, he's obviously not repped with that, with, with uh, that group that he was playing with as much as, uh, as, as what you'd like for your, for your, for the guy that's on the field to be, uh, to be doing. So, or, or the guy that's actually, uh, out on the field, you want him to have taken more reps over the course of the year. But, uh, but uh, you know, he—I think Buck's right that you know he—he played—he uh, played really hard. He—he he did bring a bit of a spark in terms of energy, uh, just in terms of sort of how he played. But you know, the real—the real issue, the real problem going forward is that again, you're still running into limitations that he's—he—he he brings that that he brings to the table. Some of the things that he was able to get early probably aren't going to be all that easy uh, in the future. And frankly, the, the the drives that they moved the ball the best on were when Anthony Ratliff-Williams was throwing the football and, and making a couple big plays there. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a little bit up, a little bit down, and, and it's kind of what you expect from your third stringer. But Bo Corrales clearly would be the – guy everybody's talking about after that game he stepped up I mean he made some plays he does not look like a freshman at least when he's making plays your take on his performance well North Carolina in terms of their wide receiver core is not in a lot of ways it's not what we're used to seeing right you know there there were times when you had Quinshaw Davis and Bug Howard on the same team um, and then there were times when you had Bug Howard and Mac Hollins on the same team. So North Carolina has always had pretty much during the entire Fedora era, sort of a twin towers combo that they could pull off the bench or have on the field guys that are six, four or better. And Mac Hollins, you know, brought with that some really good speed, but I, I'm not sure you know, and people would argue with me about this because we've got a very limited data set. But I, I think Corrales has some good hands and, you know, maybe comparable to at least both Hollins and Howard. I think he's got better Holland, better hands than Hollins did, certainly in early in his career. And, and he saved at least one interception in the, in, or earlier in the game. I mean, that was a, a great catch. So, I mean, I, I wasn't going to go there and say he's got better hands than any of those players, but he he does appear to have a set of mitts, you know, that can hang on to a football. And if if you look at some of the struggles that North Carolina's offense has had this year, 
We've seen ARW drop balls. We've seen Newsom drop balls. We've seen Roscoe Johnson drop balls. And, you know, when your quarterback is struggling already, you know, having guys drop passes that they should have caught, it just compounds the problem. So at least there appears to be one guy. And, and we, again, you know, it's fair to say we've got a very limited data set. It's nice to have one guy that you can sort of feel like that if you throw him the ball within his wingspan, he's got a pretty good chance of, of coming down with it. So I think that may be the biggest takeaway, you know, his height being six, four and, and having a good set of hands that, that bodes well, I think for what's left of this year and uh, going into 2018. Jason, let's talk about defense a little bit. I mean, I thought they looked good. The The big plays are just an issue. From what you saw on those plays, is it one guy blowing an assignment or is it just a complete, you know, unit screw up when they happen? I mean, the big, the big touchdown pass, it looked like sales bit and the guy just ran right past him. But your take on what you saw from those plays. Yeah, I mean, I need to go back and, and look at them a little bit more closely. I mean, a couple of those I'm going to end up breaking down for, for videos. So I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to talk too much about, about them until I've, I've gotten a chance to look a little closer. But uh, for the most part, the ones that I remember more clearly, I mean, you had, you had guys that were in position. They were, they were in position to potentially make a play. I mean, a couple of them you had, uh, you know, the one to Herndon to 23 for Miami, uh, the, the first big one. You had guys that were all in position. You had a great throw that got made on a seam, and then he broke a tackle. And, you know, that's the stuff that happens. You, you, have, to be, you have to make those tackles and you have to be secure. You know, there are a few others that were, again, broken tackles or a bad angle or, you know, somebody just, just got beat. And, you know, that you're playing a good, a good football team that, uh, that, has some, that has some skill talent, and those things are going to happen once in a while. But... Like I said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look at a couple of these for the, uh, for the videos this week, and I'll, I'll have a little bit more to say once I've actually taken a look at those. Yeah, look forward to those. But your take on the defense's performance, it's tough to take away those plays, and a lot of people like to say, well, they play great except for five plays. Well, ultimately, those five plays cost them the ball game. But your take overall, I mean, I think this – we talked a little bit off the air. You sort of – well, you used to always think Larry Fedora's offense is going to give you 30 points. And if you've got a defense that can hold a team to 20 or 24 points, then you like your chances. This, case, this year has been different, but the defense, it seems to me, is getting to that point, your take. Well, uh, two points I would make about the defense, aside from the giving up the long plays, is how I – mean, wasn't that long ago – when we talked about North Carolina was just unable to stop anyone on the ground. It didn't matter who they were. Delaware would get 200 plus yards on North Carolina. And it was like that for going back to really almost 2012. You know, their defense might've been a little bit better then in terms of run defense, but you, you get into 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, if a team didn't run for 200 yards on North Carolina, they weren't trying. And to hold Miami to 59 net yards and 1.8 yards per carry is pretty good. And I know they didn't have Walton, but again, 
backups have shredded North Carolina's run defense over and over and over again. So, you know, that's point number one. The run defense is far and away better than anything that we've seen since Larry Fedora got here. The The second point would be that just a few years ago, and Tommy, we talked about this multiple times, those little drag routes, uh, you know, uh, across the middle to tight ends and running backs, teams just lived off of those with North Carolina. And yesterday, Cole Holcomb had three pass breakups. I've never seen him play as well in pass defense as he played yesterday. I don't know if that's a function of Miami's offense. They have typically although this is a new staff, but going back years, they've sort of relied on the long ball a lot. They they weren't necessarily a team that, that went with those type of underneath routes. But the tight end they had last year, David, whatever, however you pronounce his last name, Joku, Najoku, whatever, he, he ripped North Carolina a new one with those kind of routes just a year ago. So they're doing much better with those kinds of routes than they have in past years. So they've improved in a couple of areas. areas, And, uh, you know, North Carolina was very aggressive at times, two or three times, or at least twice that I can recall off the top of my head. They blitzed when Miami was in an empty backfield. So, you know, that's different. We're seeing some different things out of the UNC defense. They haven't put it all together yet. They haven't gotten to the point where they can plug all the holes in the dike, so to speak. But they're making progress, and boy, they play hard. I'll give them that. And so, you know, there's some progress being made. They're not where they need to be, but uh, I think we can all agree that there's uh, we've seen a substantial uptick in the effort that we're seeing on the field. Jason, why do you think the improvement? What do you see from your standpoint to, as to why Carolina's defense has improved? They're still inconsistent with giving up the plays they give up, but what what overall do you think has led to them being, I, I think, significantly better than in past years? Well, I mean, some of it is just they've got older, more experienced personnel with some talent there. We talked about that in, in, the, in the preseason about how this defense had more experienced depth and experienced talent up front in particular than any UNC defense in, in what, a decade? Is that what we were saying? So, I mean, that, that in itself, that started to, started to come around. You can see that difference. And, and then you get a guy like Dalton that returned, to, that returned this week, and it makes, a, it makes a big difference when you have guys up front that can actually create penetration that can be difficult for an offensive line to block one-on-one because then when you do blitz you're actually blitzing without them just being able to block one more guy one-on-one you know they, they, they're having to take a guy from a guy they can't block one-on-one to block another guy so now you can get pressure and then when you actually create pressure you're helping your secondary and there's some guys in the secondary who are who, who are experienced and have some talent there's still some weaknesses on the defense and you can see that that guys are getting picked on here and there but certainly as the defense has gotten the back seven has gotten healthier overall i mean obviously they lost smith at linebacker which has not helped 
But overall, you know, you're, you're just looking at a defense that's got more experienced guys. They've spent longer in the system and there's some depth and some talent there. So they've been able to take the kinds of steps forward that you would hope for given all that. When we come back from break, I want to ask you guys about sort of around the country or around the ACC a little bit, but we'll be right back. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. But one of the more interesting and fun to read threads on the message board is about Florida's coach being fired and the back and forth that you've had with a few of our posters. We're getting towards the silly season in football, college football, I guess it is. Your take on that type stuff, letting guys go mid-season, the thoughts on that. I mean, just, just share your opinions on this time of year for college football in regards to coaching and staffs and all that. Well, yeah, the, the first thing to notice is that you may have six teams in the SEC that are going to change coaches this year. Could be that many. Um, two of them have already changed uh, or head coaches. Uh, Hugh Freeze resigned to have an interim coach at Ole Miss. And now McElwain is gone. Butch Jones is a dead man walking. Everybody knows that. So there's three teams right there. And Kevin Sumlin's not out of the woods at A&M. Brett Belima's not out of the woods in Arkansas. There are, you know, you could talk about potentially six six teams in the SEC that are going to change up. And then you've got the Southern Cal job may come open. Um, they, they They hired Clay Helton. Uh, but I think initially he was just sort of an interim guy and they haven't made a move yet because they haven't found the right person. I don't think that they want, but it's not going to shock me to see them make a run at Chip Kelly this year. Everybody's going to make a run at Chip Kelly and McElwain, you know, back to back SEC East titles, 10 and four, nine and four loses 10 players to suspension not his fault. This is, I don't think the Florida staff or anybody at Florida decided to give these guys bogus credit cards to use this. This is a, you know, a, a thing that got out amongst the team. They did it on their own. I have full confidence in that. I mean, if you're going to give kids money, you don't do it by giving them somebody else's credit card and create felonies for if they get caught. So he's missing 10 players. And Florida tanks, he's missing several really good players. And now they fire McElwain. He may not have been the best fit at Florida to begin with, but this is, he's in his third season. And, you know, the, the circumstances they've gone through this year, I think this is really more about Florida feeling like up there in Athens, you know, there's some stuff going on, and if they don't make a move, they're going to get left behind permanently in the SEC East. And I think Tennessee 
they were probably going to make a move anyway, but they've got to be feeling that same pressure. So it, it, it gets to be the silly season. I don't know if either one of you saw there's a report out that Tennessee offered John Gruden $10 million a year to come to Tennessee. That's just a report out there. I don't know how accurate it is. They haven't even fired Jones yet. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's a report out there that they're, they're, they would offer John Gruden $10 million a year. And, and so that's where we are in college football. There are programs out there that have gone through a drought in terms of success. Uh, Tennessee, probably chief among them. Uh, Southern Cal thought they were going to have a uh, playoff opportunity this year. That's not going to happen. You look at other programs, you know, it's going to be the silly season. And with the early signing period in December, you're going to see people pulling the, tri the trigger a little earlier than they, what they have been, like they did with uh, McElwain at Florida. So it's going to be fascinating to follow sooner or later. Mark my words on this. I'm, I bet either one of you, not the house, but maybe a 50 cent piece that before it's over, Lane Kiffin's name is going to surface in some of these vacancies. Mark my words. So that's where we at, or we're at these days. And uh, I look Good forward to watching. <laughs> well, Jason, to that point, every, there's always a shiny new nickel. And it seems like teams, I mean, McIlwain, you win the SEC East, you have a down year from what Buck was talking about, and you get the boot. I mean, I don't really care about Florida football, but that just sets a, a bad precedent, doesn't it, across the gamut of college football. But like Buck said, I guess it, I guess that's where we are now, or is it? Well, there's more to the story with the McIlwain situation, just for what it's worth, I suppose probably best to talk about off air in terms of um some of the behind the scenes stuff that have led to some of the dissatisfaction and the the perceived need to get rid of him although i mean again the situation for McElwain is you know he's he's gotten far enough in that you can kind of see whether or not he's going to turn that program around and it's odds are he's not and in that sense i mean if you look at it in recent years with what coaches have actually done, what coaches have, at, at top programs, if you're at a program that can win a title, if you don't win a title in your first five or six years, and you're not on the path to be, to, to, to getting there within your first three, three years, you're probably never going to win one. So if you're at one of those programs, I can understand being relatively quick on the trigger because you can start to see generally whether or not a guy's going to get there. I mean, that, that seems to be the direction that things have gone. So I understand that, but there with, with McIlwain, there are a few additional things behind the scenes that, uh, that have led to this as well. Let me ask you this. If he were 10 and one right now, would those issues be a problem? Winning fixes a lot of things. Winning covers over a lot of things. So there would still be, those issues would still be significant, but he'd probably survive them. But that's not to say that, that there wouldn't be any, any consideration of some of, of, uh, trying to, to cover their own, uh, their own tails on some things. But again, winning has a way of making everybody overlook a lot of, a lot of stuff. I agree there, guys. Good stuff. I like to talk about, especially now, this deep into the season, talk about things other than Carolina on these podcasts. I hope our listeners appreciate it. The message board threads sure are interesting and entertaining, but 
That'll do it for this edition. Buck and Jason, I appreciate y'all taking the time. Join me on a Saturday or, excuse me, Sunday afternoon. Thanks, Tommy. It's fun. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.